We're going to read our text verse, then we're going to read a verse that we actually read last night as well in in chapter 2, and then we are going to go back to the book of Jeremiah, and we're going to look at another story from the book of Jeremiah that uh, has to do with our theme of continuing, and really it's kind of taken this path of continuing to the next generation. And God has just really laid upon my heart uh, in these days the importance of passing what we have to the next generation. And you say, well, preacher, my kids are grown and gone. Look around you. Look around you. There's young people all through this church. Listen, y'all are blessed with a lot of young people in this church. A church this size to have this many young people in it. Um, you have an opportunity to affect generations to come. And, uh, and so I pray that these messages have been a help and a blessing to you. And I pray that these young people are hearing. Uh, because uh, it's our job to pass what we have to the next generation. But then you've got to pick up the ball. You've got to run with it. And nobody can make you serve God. We can make you live according to what the Bible says while you're under our roof, and good dads and moms will do that. Uh, But at at some point in your life, it's going to have to go from dad and mom to you. And it's going to have to go from your head to your heart. And uh, or you will not continue. And so I want us to look at this uh, uh, tonight. So let's stand together. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We probably know this verse. We can probably quote it. Y'all have been quoting it for a while. I'm, I'm just catching up. Amen. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. Let's read it together, shall we? The Bible says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now look back at chapter 2. And actually, I want to read... The first three verses of chapter 2, where Paul tells Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for this time we've had tonight. The testimonies have been a blessing to my heart. The songs that we've sung together as a congregation, Lord, they've just, they've just encouraged me and strengthened me and lifted my heart to uh, a place of praise and thanksgiving. Lord, the, the special music, God, all of it has been done to prepare us for this time. And God, I pray now that you would speak to our hearts. God, that we'd be obedient to you, that we'd be sensitive to your spirit. God, guide us into the truth that you have for us tonight. May we receive it and thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. As we continue to look at truth being propagated from generation to generation, and continuing in the things that we've learned, Paul tells Timothy in 
in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, I, the, the things uh, that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You notice that there's three, really, generations, spiritual generations in this one verse. You've got Paul teaching Timothy, and then, and really four, honestly, Paul teaching Timothy, Timothy teaching it to the next uh, group of people, and enabling them to teach it to the next group of people. And listen, truth, truth is to be propagated. Truth is to be passed from generation to generation. I'm reminded of Psalm 78 where uh, the, the Lord instructs the nation of Israel to make sure that they show the wonderful works of God to the next generation, that they might be able to teach their children the wonderful works of the Lord and show his greatness and his mighty power. Listen, the God of the great awakenings is the God that we serve today. The God of Pentecost is the same God that we serve today. The God who spoke the world into existence is the same God that speaks to our hearts through the preaching of his word. And so, listen, this truth that we have needs to be passed on in the next generation. This was, this was ingrained deeply in Paul's heart. He really wanted Timothy to understand the truth, to continue in those things that he had learned, and be assured of them, and to pass them on to the next generation. Now, we're going to see an example in the book of Jeremiah, right next door to where we looked last night, of a tremendous family that passed the truths of their fathers down to the next generations for many generations. I was thinking tonight, my dad was the first uh, in his family to, to uh, for, for many generations, he was the first to come to Christ and, and faith to Christ and be born again. He was raised Catholic, religious but lost. And uh, when dad got saved, it changed his life. And because dad's life was changed, our lives were changed, even before they began. And so we were brought up in a home that honored the Lord and honored the word of God and that uh, believed and taught us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and taught us that we were sinners and that we needed that salvation. They taught us that the spirit of God would speak to our hearts and convict us of sin. And that, uh, and that we should be attentive to the Spirit of God. And that we should obey the voice of God. And one day, as a 17-year-old young man, I got, uh, I got serious about God. I got serious about my soul. And I was born again August 10th, 1995. I thank God for that. And so the truth that Dad had, he passed down to us. Now, we're not going, I'm not going to heaven because Dad's going to heaven. I had to receive the gospel myself. My mom, uh, she grew up in a, a very nominal Christian home, you could say. They weren't really committed, but she had a godly grandmother that walked with God and loved God. We went over some of the songs that she wrote. And, uh, and in my, on my mom's side of the family, and we got all, we got, I wouldn't say all, because Dad sang tonight. But we got most of our musical talent from my mom. She's the musical one. And uh, just 
Dad says amen, okay? So y'all can say amen. You can breathe now. For years, Dad, would, he wouldn't sing with us because he, he thought he couldn't sing as well as us. But now, after all the boys moved out, Mom pressed him into service, amen? And so, and so my mom has had a long, uh, really a long heritage of, of, of music. She has a, uh, is it three greats? Three greats for you? Four for me, five for my kids. Uh, grandmother, her name was Azentia. Don't hear that one much anymore, do you? And uh, she wrote hymns. And she wrote over 100 hymns. And many of them we find in the in hymnals. And we'll go through. And I'll open a hymnal and see if one of her hymns are in there. E.W. Chapman is what it says. Mrs. E.W. Chapman. She wrote songs that glorified God. And by God's grace, we're going to learn some of those songs. I want to sing some of those songs. I want to, I want to uh, uh, keep that, uh, perpetuate truth to the next generation. But I was thinking that with dad and mom, they established a Christian home. And because of them, they passed along the, that truth to, to me and to my brothers. And we're trying to pass along to, to our children. And I've got, a, I've got a son getting married here in another couple months. And you know what I'm praying? I'm praying that he and his wife will pass that truth on to the next generation. Now look in, in Jeremiah chapter 35. We're going to find a family that is really one of the most remarkable families in all of the Bible. And I'll bet you don't even know their names. It's really, really remarkable that, that more is not said of this family because I want to read about them and I want to see their level of commitment of continuing the truth that was taught to them by their father for generations. Look at Jeremiah chapter 35 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, the, Lord, uh, the word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go unto the house of the Rechabites, and speak unto them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took uh, Jeazaniah, that's hard to say, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, that's even harder, and his brethren, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdalia, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Maasiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, Drink ye wine. But they said, watch this, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of uh, Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons, forever. Neither shall you build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. 
Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us. To drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed. But we have dwelt in tents, and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. Now, this is several generations, and I thought I had it written down, but I, I don't have it written down. It's several generations back that the father, their father, Jonadab, gave them the command to not drink wine, to not, to, uh, to not have houses in which to live, and not to have vineyards. And they took these commands... That their, that their forefather had given them, and they perpetuated that truth from generation to generation. Now, maybe you're looking at these things and saying, well, I don't agree with them. Well, that's okay. You don't have to agree with them. But this is the command that their father gave to them. And they took it to heart. And they certainly had their reasons as to why... Uh, and, and the father had his reasons as to why he gave these commands. And we'll look, look at them, and I want us to gather some truth for us. But what's remarkable to me is that these commands that were given to this, to this family, they perpetuated from generation to generation. And I want us to look at, at, at some of these truths regarding this family, and we're going to do so, I promise you, we're going to do so briefly tonight. The first thing I want us to see is the testing of the Rechabites. The testing. We read the verses, uh, verses 1 through 10, um, setting up the story. And, and, and when you read this, you're thinking, what's going on here? Why is the Lord doing this? Well, he's testing them. And we're going to see why in just a moment. But I want us to focus in on this test that they endure. They are called in to the house of God, this family, these descendants. They're called into the house of God. They're brought in before Jeremiah, the man of God. And the man of God sets before them pots of wine with cups. And he tells them, drink wine. Now, he knew very well that they had been given the commandment not to drink wine. Can I just pause right here and say, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You ought to put away the liquor. You ought to destroy it. You ought to get it out of your home. The beer, the wine... The strong drink, it has no place in the home of a believer. Amen. The Bible says not to even look upon the wine when it moveth itself aright in the cup. You know what I found? It's hard to, hard to drink something you can't even look at. Amen. Why is it getting quiet? I don't know. This is fine. You can drink this all day long. Better And it doesn't bring sorrow to your home. Dad always used to say, Bud, you'd be wiser if you didn't drink that slop. Amen? 
And so they're brought in and they're set, set before them wine. And now listen, according to the scripture, we know there's two different types of wine. And I don't want to belabor this point. There is fermented wine and there is unfermented wine. Wine is the fruit of the vine. Grape juice in the Bible is called wine. And the context will always tell you whether it is strong drink, fermented, or not. If, if, it, if it's pertaining to, the, to, the, uh, uh, to the, the importance of the story. So, uh, you know, don't, don't get hung up on this and don't walk away from the service tonight just wondering about strong, strong drink or not and wine and where I stand on wine and what's your position. What's, that's not even the point of the message. The point of the message is their dad said, don't touch it. Don't drink it. And they took that truth... And they lived that truth from generation to generation. But they were tested on it. You know what? You get a conviction in your heart, something that God has placed in your heart, the Heavenly Father has placed in your heart and life, you can be sure that you will be tested on it. And understand that that testing is not just a testing from the devil. God tests us too. Now the Bible says that God does not tempt man with evil. But he does allow temptations into our lives. Would you say amen to that? And you can sure you can be sure that you will be tested. If you get it in your heart this week, God dealt with my heart, and I'm not going to back up on the truth. I'm not going to give in to the pressures around me. God's laid it on my heart. Our family is not going to continue in this activity, or we're going to start in this activity. You can be sure that you will be tested. You young people, if you get it in your heart, I'm going to stay pure, and you ought to get that in your heart. Amen? I, I'm going to stay pure. I'm going to stay pure in body. I'm going to stay pure in spirit. I'm going to stay pure in soul. You are going to be tested on that. And everywhere you look, it seems, there are people failing the test. I'm thankful there's a family here that stayed strong and didn't flunk. Now, you know, we, we talk about God's forgiveness, and I am thankful for God's forgiveness, aren't you? I need it. I'm thankful for His mercies. I need His mercies every morning. It's a good thing that His mercies are, are new every morning, because I need them every morning. But we've almost created this idea that we, we expect to fall into sin. We expect to give in to the lust of the flesh. We expect our children to go the way of the world and hopefully they'll come back. Listen, God says, greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. Thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph. I'm saying we can win the victory. We don't have to give in to the flesh. We don't have to give in to the devil. We don't have to give in to the world. We can win. I'm thankful for a family and a group of people that decided they're just going to do what's right. They passed the test. 
I'm thankful for that. But I want us to look at not only the testing of the Rechabites, but the blessing of the Rechabites. Look at verse, verses 18 and 19. Look at this. Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, this is after they passed the test, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according unto all that he hath commanded you, therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, or the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. You see, the whole purpose of this test was God was showing the, 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 the nation of Judah who had given in to the temptations and had turned their back on their father, God. He was showing them a family that did not turn their back on their father. And did not go their own way. They trusted their father's wisdom. And they lived in the truth of their father's wisdom. And he's comparing the nation of Judah with the Rechabites. And he's telling them. He said listen. These, these, this family is honoring their family. An earthly family. But the nation of Judah and Jerusalem is not honoring their heavenly father. This testing, they pass the test, and now you see God gives them a blessing. Again, as we think about the, 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 the book of Jeremiah, the grand scope, the big picture, judgment is coming. But if you will respond properly to God and to his word, God will have mercy. God will prolong his mercy. And he did it not, not just for Josiah but also for the family of the Rechabites. He gave them a promise. He said, I'm going to perpetuate your family. Listen, if you will perpetuate truth in your family, God will perpetuate your family. Because the Bible says, the Lord said, I honor them that honor me. He'll honor you. There's a testing and there's a blessing. But then I want us to look at this very briefly and then we'll be done. I want us to look at the lessons of the Rechabites. What was it exactly that we can learn from them? In the, in the lessons that their father gave to them, there is truth for us. The obvious one we understand when he tells them, instructs them not to partake of wine, we understand the application there is that we be clean. That we be undefiled. That instead of being filled with wine, we be filled with the Spirit. The second thing that we can learn from them is that we need to be obedient children you say well who needs to be obedient children all of us not just the children because we are the children of God he is our heavenly father the whole point of this of this exercise in chapter 35 
was God telling the nation, you need to obey me like this family obeys their father. Are we obedient to God as a child is to his father? Look at 1 Peter. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Don't you think that they questioned? Why, why can't we drink wine? Why can't we build houses? Why can't we have vineyards? Did they understand? I don't know. We're not told whether they understood or not. But they obeyed. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse number 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober... And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. You know what he says? We as believers in this day, we need to live our lives as obedient children to God. You know what an obedient child does? They follow their father's example. An obedient child is a child that looks to dad and mom as the example for them to, to follow. They revere them. They honor them. They listen to them. They obey them. Dad used to tell us all the time. He'd say, boys, you got the easiest job in the world. I, remember, I could hear him saying this. If he said it one time, he said it a hundred times or a thousand Maybe more. He'd say, you have the easiest job in the world. All you have to do is what you're told. That sounds easy, doesn't it? And really, on the surface, it is quite easy. You don't have to worry about, okay, what am I going to do when this problem comes up? I was talking with Brother Greg at supper time, and we were talking about how, uh, we talking a little bit about each other's back. And, uh, and I was telling him how my dad was an evangelist. And we traveled around, and, and, and he was asking me how we do stuff. And I said, well, you know, I, I got a little bit of a head start because I grew up doing this. But it is much different on this side than it was on that side. Because growing up as a kid, I didn't have to worry about if we had enough money to fill up the gas tank. I can never remember thinking one time, well, if we're going to have enough money to eat today. Now, I'm sure things were tight from time to time. My dad, he, he, he tells me, he says, he says, son, when I started into evangelism, he said, I was just stupid. We went from Michigan 
to, to Florida in, in, a, in a camper with bald tires and no money. And back then he said, I didn't think twice about it. He said, I just figured God was going to take care of us. You know what? That's a great way to live life. Well, brother, you gotta, you got to prepare for this and prepare for that. And, and listen, I know, be prepared as you can. But where God guides, God provides. He is our Heavenly Father. We're told to take no thought, no thought of the morrow. Well, that's a, that's a tall order, isn't it? We like to plan things out. We like to be prepared. We, not, we like to know what's coming next. Well, according to the Bible, we, we need to follow God as obedient children. Children don't sit around crunching the numbers. Come on. Y'all are not in agreement with me right here. <laughs> children don't sit around biting their fingernails, worried about where the next meal is going to come and, and if they have enough finances to make it and are the bills getting paid. Why? Because they have complete faith in their dad, in their mom. Children are great at trust. We stink at it as we get old. Amen. That's why God said you need to have childlike faith. You know, a child, he gets up in the morning, he might wonder what he's going to eat, but most children never wonder if they're going to eat. Now, there are some children that do, and your heart goes out to them. But listen, when there's a home where there's a dad and a mom that love them, kids don't even worry about it. Why? Because they have faith. You know what we need to have? We need to have faith in our Heavenly Father. Not only faith in His provision, but faith in His wisdom. That He knows what is best for us. Maybe they sat there and thought, well, I don't see what's wrong with a little bit of wine. Maybe they thought, well, I don't see what's wrong with having a house or having a vineyard, having a farm. I don't see what's wrong with those things. But their, their father said, you don't need those things. It's amazing what we think we need that we don't. Fashioning yourselves not... According to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which call, hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Look what he says in verse 17. And if ye call on who? The Father. The Father. He's our Father. He's going to take care of us. The lesson of the Rechabites is to be clean and undefiled and to be obedient children. Just trust the Lord. Just trust the Lord. Live a clean life. And let me give you the last one. What was the other thing they were told by their father? Don't drink wine. Don't build houses. Don't have vineyards. You know why Jonadab gave that, those instructions to his children? Because where they were living was not their home. It wasn't their home. They were strangers in the land. They were pilgrims. 
in the land. Is that ringing a bell, Christian? You know what he's saying? Don't put your roots too deep in this world. The lesson of the Rechabites for us is to understand we also are not of this world. We are strangers. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. We're headed to another land. We have a country that's far greater than the one in which we live now. And one of these days, the Lord is going to call us up to be with him. And we're going to, listen, we spend, we spend a little bit of time down here. A little bit of time. If we live to be 70, that's a full life. That's what God says. Three score and ten. Some of you are living on fumes. Amen? <laughs> Dad and mom, they're, they're past the three score and ten. I told you I wasn't going to tell mom's age, but she's been telling everybody all week. <laughs> they're both in a grace period. There's others probably here tonight. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, 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 not going to look at anybody. <laughs> there might be others here tonight. Also in the grace period. Praise God. Thank you, brother. You're one of the ones I was trying not to look at. You might live 80 years. You might live 90. You might live 100. We, we saw just the other day that, uh, that some, someone passed away. The oldest man in the world passed away. And so there's a big article on the next oldest guy. And so the oldest man, I think, was 114. He passed away, and he passed it down to this young fella who was 112. <laughs> oldest man alive. If you live to be 150, or 200, or 300, or 400, or 500, or you outlive the oldest man that ever lived, Methuselah, as far as we know, 969. If you made it to 1,000, it's still a drop in a bucket compared to eternity. Why are we living for this world? Why are we pouring our energy and our life and our finances and, and every waking moment we're just pouring into this world and to have the things of this world and, and, and to just consume things upon our lust? The Lord says, lay not up treasure for you on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. The lesson of the Rechabites is this. Be pilgrims. Be strangers. Now listen, I'm not against someone having a house. I've got a house. I thank God for it. But you know what? If God said to me tomorrow, you don't need that house anymore. By the grace of God, I'm just going to say, okay, Lord. Because there's something far more important than houses and lands. Look at this family. Look what they are propagating from generation to generation. And look at the average American family today. What is being passed from generation to generation? The dollar bill. That is the God of this world. I thank God for dollar bills. 
Amen? They, they really help in this life to have some dollar bills. Nothing wrong with having money, but if money has you, you've got a problem. And our world is ate up with materialism and wealth and, and the things of this world. We're supposed to be different. Brother Dave, we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to live for the things of this world. We're living for another country. Let me show you this. We'll be done. I promise you. This, look, look, at, look at verse number 12, or, or uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Look at Hebrews 11, and I want to show you this. I have great intentions that I get up here, and I just, I love God's word. It ministers to us. It speaks to us right where we are. That's why I would never go to a church where you walk in and the guy says a bunch of stuff and you walk out and you say, well, I don't even, I have no clue what he just said. But a lot of people do that week after week and they call it church. Man, what a waste of life. Amen. Look at Hebrews 11. The Bible is practical. It's powerful and it's practical. Look at Hebrews 11. And I want you to look, look at verse number eight. By faith, Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. <laughs> Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, Sarah. Hey, Abraham. How was your day at work? Well, it was pretty good. Fields were going good. So uh, what's going on? Well, we're moving. Oh, we are. Well, that's big news. Where are we moving? I don't know. Well, where are we going? Well, I don't know. He just by faith obeyed. Look at verse 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You know what these verses tell us? Abraham left one country, Ur of the Chaldees, because God said move. And he came into the land of promise. Well, that, that must, that's, that's the fulfillment of what God told him. Is that true? No, it's not. You know what, you know what the land of promise was? The next step. That's all it was. Because there's three countries here. There's that far country came out of. There's the land of promise. And then there's another country. That he said, whose builder and maker is God. It has foundations. That country has foundations. You know what Abraham had in the land of promise? Tabernacles, tents. And he'd move... God would tell him to move. He'd pull up stakes and move again. He was looking for a place that had foundations. Look at verse number 13. These all died in faith. Look at this. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. You see the three countries there? They came out of one, they're in another, and they're desiring a better one. They desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. You know, what he's tell, you, know, you know what God is telling us? We think about Abraham, we think about the promise of Abraham, we think about the promise of that land, and how God is going to... He's going to establish that nation in the land of promise. And all that is true. But Abraham, the whole time he was in the land of promise, he was not living for that land. He was living for another land. I thank God for everything that God allows us to enjoy and partake of. I'm thankful for the church. Amen. But we're not living for this. We're living for there. And the Rechabites teach us. Don't get too comfortable down here. Well, people just think we're strange. Well, that's good. Because we are. We are strangers. We are pilgrims. They think we're peculiar. They should. I mean, they really think you're peculiar this week. You come to church every, no every night. And you come in here, and if they've heard what's going on, they they're thinking they're going to a church for a guy just to sit down and listen to a guy yell at them. Amen. Gets up there sweating and slobbering and yelling, and everybody leaves and says, boy, that was good. <laughs> Y'all are strange. Yes, we are. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it's strange to them. Because they're living for here. But to us who are seeking a better country, a heavenly country, this is just warm up for there. You know what I want to teach my children? Set your affection on things above. Not on things in the earth. Why? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Get your eyes on Christ. Believer, get your eyes on Christ. What's going on in Washington? What's been going on there for the last however many years? Amen. It's just the same thing over and over again with different names. Come on, we know this. And we still get caught up in it. Let me tell you what we ought to be focused on. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. 